I spoke this morning about Palm Sunday, and I think that this is important. I spoke this morning about Palm Sunday, and uh, I'm going to kind of piggyback what I spoke about this morning. I spoke about failed expectations. Say that with me, failed expectations. So I'm going to piggyback what I spoke about this morning. And um, the, the, the story of Palm Sunday is actually found in all the Gospels. Did you know that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's found in all the Gospels. The story of Palm Sunday is found in all the Gospels. And I believe that it's important for us to reminisce and be reminded of the story of Palm Sunday. If the writers decided to record this story in all four Gospels, then I think that it would behoove us for us to, uh, to read the Scriptures, for us to be reminded about the importance of Palm Sunday. It's recorded four times, and we should give attention to it. And so as you look at the story of Palm Sunday, there's lots of life application that's found in the story of Palm Sunday. And one of the things that comes to my mind is that there's a lot of failed expectations in the story. I mean, here, the story of Palm Sunday is the crowd, the multitude, is celebrating the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. These people were excited. They were waving their palm branches. They were crying, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. There was multitudes of people on that Sunday morning crying, Hosanna to the Lord. There was great anticipation of what God was getting ready to do. These people were excited. The atmosphere was charged with expectation about what God was getting ready to do. And those people 2,000 years ago anticipated that Jesus was that coming Messiah and that he would overthrow the Romans and set up a peaceful kingdom like unto David. There was a lot of expectation that day. There was a lot of excitement that day. And did you know that they were disappointed? Come Friday, the Romans crucified Jesus on a Roman cross. Those people had a lot of failed expectations. They thought that this man, who they waved branches about, they thought that he could have saved them, that he was the promised one, that he was the Messiah to deliver them from the hand of oppression. They had a lot of failed expectations. And now they see this man is dying on a Roman cross. A lot of disheartened people, a lot of failed expectations. And folks, it kind of reminds me of where we're at today. I mean, just three or four weeks ago, there was a lot of expectation about what God was getting ready to do in our churches. Can you hear the sound of the music? Can you hear the babies in the nursery? Do you see the foyers full of people shaking hands and hugging necks? I mean, three or four weeks, three or four weeks, we were waving our palm branches. We were waving these palm branches. We were celebrating. We were rejoicing. There was a lot of expectation about what God was getting ready to do in 2020. And now it seems like there's a lot of failed expectations. And I want to remind you that let's not put a period where God wants to put a comma. I want to remind you that there's another chapter to the book. There's another paragraph to the book. There's another sentence to the book. The story doesn't end with Good Friday. The story doesn't end with failed expectations. The story don't end with women crying at the crucifixion. The story don't end there. That's only the beginning of the story, because three days later there is a resurrection. 
And that's the beginning of the story. That's the hope that we have. Let me tell you, folks, let me tell you, Christ Point, my friends, my family, if you have felt expectations, I want to remind you tonight, let's turn the page. Let's turn the chapter. Let's take our spiritual eraser and let's erase the period and let's put a comma because God has not finished yet. There's another chapter to be read, another paragraph to be read. There's another sentence to be read. The story isn't over yet. Can I hear an amen? So as you look at Palm Sunday, it's a story of felt expectations. It's also a story that is filled with hope. Because these people, although they had failed expectations, they failed to realize the story don't end yet. The story don't end yet. And I want to tell you folks, the story don't end yet. These, the next coming months is going to be some of the greatest months we've ever experienced. Because we belong to Him. And the story don't end yet. And I'm not going to do all the reviews like I did this morning. There's lots of, go back and listen to the sermon that I spoke about this morning. Uh, there's a few principles that you can learn from this morning. I, I don't have time to do all that, but there's something that I do want to. There's something that I do want to share with you tonight that I think is amazing. When I think about Palm Sunday, I think about. Um, yeah, listen to this. I mean, when I think about Palm Sunday, I think about. I think Palm Sunday teaches us this. I get so excited about the word. I mean, I get so excited about the word I can shout. <laughs> I really do. I have to tell myself, calm down, Josh, calm down. These people are listening to you. I'm not in an actual church service, and maybe maybe they're not all Pentecostal, and they won't understand your excitement, but the word of God really excites me, so I get really excited, and, and so i got to calm down. But I do want to tell you something that's really exciting that I feel like the message of Palm Sunday, and it's this. I think that Palm Sunday tells us this that you got to ride into the unknown. You see, Jesus made his decision to ride into Jerusalem knowing what's getting ready to happen. And he decided to ride into Jerusalem anyway. Sometimes Palm Sunday teaches us that we got to ride in to things that are unknown or known. Sometimes we got to continue to ride through things even though we don't have the answers to life, even though we don't have everything figured out, Palm Sunday teaches us that we got to continue to ride through things. Jesus made his decision to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, knowing what was getting ready to happen to him on Friday. Oh, folks, let me tell you something. We got to continue to ride through. We got to continue to push through. We got to continue to go through because that's what Palm Sunday teaches us. Let's continue to go through. Let's continue to ride through. Palm Sunday teaches us that he rode through Jerusalem and it teaches us that he didn't turn back and go the opposite direction. It was his riding through, not turning back. That's the point of Palm Sunday. You can't go back. You've got to continue to ride through. Palm Sunday teaches us that Jesus went through he got on the donkey and kept on going towards Jerusalem, not turning back, even though he knew what Friday was getting ready to do. He knew what Friday held. He knew what they were going to do to him. He knew what was getting ready to happen to him, but yet Jesus kept riding through and he never turned back. And that's what Palm Sunday teaches us, that no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how bad it looks, you've got to keep riding through. You've got to keep going through and never turn back. Uh, one of the things I see, that's the first thing I see about Palm Sunday. The other thing I see about Palm Sunday 
is that I think it's interesting. Now, don't lose me because I think this is important. And I, um, I, I brought this principle out, principle out before, but I want to bring it out in a greater, a greater clarity because I feel there's more to it than what I've discovered before. Uh, if you, if you go to the Old Testament, we know Old Testament contained is New Testament explained, and so there is something powerful um, in the Old Testament that I want to bring out. Now, um, in the Old Testament, you'll have, if you go to the story of, I think, yeah, the story of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet of God, and Ezekiel sees, uh, he sees a vision. And one of the visions that he sees is found in uh, Ezekiel 43. Ezekiel 43. Now, I don't have time to read all of it, so that I just want you to kind of, flow with me. Ezekiel chapter 43, Ezekiel sees a vision. Now I'm talking about Palm Sunday. I'm going to tie this together. He sees a, excuse me, he sees a vision. And in this vision, Ezekiel chapter 43, uh, chapter number one, listen to the vision he has. Afterwards, he brought me to the gate and the gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. Everybody say east. His voice was like the voice of many waters, and the earth shone forth with his glory. It was like the appearance as a vision which I saw, the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Cherub. And I fell on my face, and the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate which faces towards the east. And the Spirit said to me, Look up, and, to, and brought me to the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, it's interesting to me, Isaiah has this vision of the glory of God coming back to the temple. Okay? Now, you know in the Old Testament, the temple was a permanent place where God dwelt in a box, which is called the Ark of the Covenant. So it was God's meeting place with his people. So the temple was very sacred to the Hebrew people. So Ezekiel has this vision of the glory of God coming back to the temple. Now, if he had a vision of the glory of God coming back to the temple, does that mean the glory of God left? Yes, it did. Because the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 10 and verse number 18, he has a vision. Ezekiel 10 verse 18, the glory of God departed from the threshold of the temple and stood above the cherub. So Ezekiel has a vision of the glory of God departing from the temple. And then in chapter 43, he has a vision of the glory of God coming back to the temple. Now don't lose me. I don't want to get so deep that we get stuck, but I want you to I want you to get this because I think it's important. Ezekiel, who is a prophet in the Old Testament, has a vision. He sees the power, the glory, the Shekinah presence of God departing from the temple in chapter 10. Then you turn to chapter 43, he has another vision where the glory of God comes back to the temple. Now, any Jewish rabbi, any Jewish person who had studied scriptures would know that this is significant, all right? 
It's interesting to me, in Ezekiel 43, it kind of tells us that Ezekiel sees the glory of God almost as a person and not some kind of as a mystic cloud that they were used to. If you read chapter 43, you get the impression that Ezekiel is, is conveying that the glory of God is, is a person now coming back to the temple. So Ezekiel has a vision where the glory of God departs in Ezekiel chapter 10. But in Ezekiel chapter 43, he says, I see the glory of God coming back. But now he says, in the appearance, I see and behold the glory of God of Israel is, is coming from the east. He says it's coming from the east and it's coming to settle back on the temple again. The temple again. Now this is significant. It Number one, he says the glory of God is coming from the east. Okay? Verse number two, and behold the glory of God of Israel come from the way of the east, east, and it comes as if it's a person. Okay? Now you go to Palm Sunday, go to Matthew chapter 21, and Matthew chapter 21, verse number 1. Now when Jesus drew near to Jerusalem, now Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. Verse number 2, go into the village opposite of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt, uh, a donkey tied and a colt with her, loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. So you, you, you'll see this. They bring a donkey to Jesus. Jesus gets on the donkey. And when he gets on the donkey, now the donkey is an animal of peace, not war and aggression. Jesus was lifted up on the donkey. Jesus was lifted up in an attitude of humility and peace, not war and aggression. Because Jesus is demonstrating to us that the way to be exalted, the way to elevation, is not through anger and 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 war and aggression, but the way to elevation is through peace and humility. This is the only time in the Gospels that you see Jesus ever elevated above the crowd. This is the first time that you see in the Gospels that Jesus was ever elevated above the crowd because Jesus is demonstrating to us that elevation in our life only comes through humility and peace, not war and aggression. Because in chapter number chapter number um chapter number 18 of the same book you'll see that there was a dispute about who will be the greatest am i right chapter number 20 you see the mother of zebedee's sons coming to jesus saying i want my sons to sit with you one on your right hand and one on your left but jesus demonstrates in chapter 21 that the way to greatness is through humility i'm sitting on a donkey an animal of peace I'm not going to sit on a horse, which is an animal of war and aggression. Jesus is telling us that the way to elevation, the way to the kingdom of God is through humility and peace, not through war and aggression, like Peter, who took out his sword and cut off the servant's ear. Jesus is saying, that's not how I conduct business in my kingdom. In my kingdom, it's different. You are only elevated through humility and peace, not by war and aggression. Because in chapter 18, chapter 18, before the Palm Sunday story, chapter 18, the disciples get in dispute about who's the greatest. Then chapter number 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons wants to know if her 
her boys can sit on the right hand and left hand of his kingdom. I want them to be great. But yet Jesus demonstrates by his life what greatness is. Greatness is walking in humility and walking in peace. That's the way to greatness. Amen. If you want to be great, you first must descend before you ascend. Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 emptied himself and came down and was born of a virgin. That is the way to greatness. The way to greatness is to come down. The way to go up is to go down. The way to, the way to get is to give. You, it's always backwards in the kingdom of God. It's the way of being backwards in the kingdom of God. God always does things backwards. Anyway, that's another sermon. But I want you to see that I want you to see that the glory of God in chap Ezekiel chapter 10, that Ezekiel had a vision and the glory of God departed. But in Ezekiel chapter 43, Ezekiel sees the glory of God coming back to the temple and he's, he sees the glory of God coming from the east. And then in the Palm Sunday message, in, in Matthew chapter 21, you see Jesus getting on a donkey and he's going towards Jerusalem. Guess what, folks? Jerusalem is east. He's going towards Jerusalem east. And he's going towards Mount of Olives. That is in the direction of the temple of God. I hope you know where I'm going with this. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel. Anybody who was at the Palm Sunday service 2,000 years ago, any serious student of the Word of God, any Hebrew that would have read the Old Testament stories and the Old Testament prophecies and visions would have correlated this together and tied it together. Because Jesus is coming towards the east, he's coming towards the temple, and this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel that the glory of God is coming back to the temple. I'm letting you know that the glory of God is not a cloud. The glory of God is not a mystic presence. The glory of God is not something unknown. The glory of God is in a person, Jesus, and Jesus is fulfilling the vision of, of Ezekiel chapter 43. He's coming back to the temple. He's going up to the Mount of Olives, to the direction of the temple. The glory of God is coming back to the temple. He is coming as a person. Jesus is the fulfillment of the glory of God. So when we pray for the glory of God, when we ask that the glory of God comes, you know what we're asking for? We're asking that Jesus would come. We're not asking for some mystic presence. We're not asking for something spooky. We're not asking for some kind of gold dust. We're asking for Jesus to come. We're asking for his presence to come because Jesus is the fulfillment of the vision of Ezekiel. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is approaching the temple. The glory of God is coming back to the temple. And that is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 43 where Ezekiel looked up. The Spirit took Ezekiel up in the Spirit. And Ezekiel saw the glory of God coming from the east, coming back to the temple. And this is the fulfillment of the glory of God coming back to the temple. Somebody say amen. Can I just shout up in here? Amen. The glory of God is coming back to the temple. So when we ask for the presence of God, when we ask for the glory of God, we're asking for Jesus to come because Jesus is the embodiment 
of the glory and the presence of Almighty God. Ezekiel chapter number 10, the glory of God left. Ezekiel sees the glory of God leaving. But Ezekiel chapter 43, he sees the glory of God coming back. And in the Palm Sunday message, we see Jesus approaching the Mount Olives. We see Jesus approaching Jerusalem. Jesus is the glory of God coming back to the temple of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 43. So when we ask for the presence of God, we are asking for Jesus to come. We're asking for the presence. When we ask for the presence of the Lord, we're asking for Jesus to come because Jesus is the embodiment of the glory of God. Amen. Can I hear an amen? Jesus is the embodiment of the glory of God. That's what Palm Sunday means. So what can I learn about Palm Sunday? Now, I ask you to go to this morning service and listen to, the, to part one, but part two tonight, what can I learn from the story of Palm Sunday? We can learn from the story of Palm Sunday is that Jesus rode into Jerusalem knowing what was getting ready to happen, and yet he did not turn around and go the opposite direction. Palm Sunday teaches us that sometimes we got to continue to ride through things that are perilous. We got to continue to go through things that are unknown. We got to continue to go through things that are uncertain. Jesus continued to ride through on a donkey, even though he knew what was getting ready to happen to him, and he never turned around and went the opposite direction. Palm Sunday teaches us that we got to continue to go. And why was, now listen to this, why was Jesus, why was Jesus going forward? Because he is the glory. Number two, Jesus is the fulfillment of the vision of Ezekiel. He is the glory of God. Folks, the greatest days are ahead of us. We're getting ready to experience something that's so mightily. We're getting ready to experience. I have prayed. I have prayed. I've prayed for years. You know Christ's point. I appreciate those that come to Wednesday night prayer meetings. I really do. Those who are faithful. We have about 50 people who show up when we, and we pray every Wednesday night. For the last two years, we have been praying for a spiritual awakening. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me a few years ago and said that the sound of praise and the sound of worship from this building will awaken people who are spiritually asleep. I'm telling you, we can't, we can't, we can't stop praying. And every Wednesday night, we pray over eight things. We've been doing this for two years. We have been praying consistently and faithfully for two years over these eight things. And listen, I'm nobody special. My church is nobody special, but they're my sheep, and I love them very much. And I am praying for not only Christ Point to experience a spiritual awakening, but I am praying for this region for other churches, for other pastors, they're praying it too. I'm praying that we all experience a spiritual awakening. Amen. I'm asking you, don't let a pandemic force you to pray. Will you be spiritually mature enough to pray without a pandemic? Will you be spiritually mature enough to pray without a pandemic? 
Can we be spiritually mature enough to read our Bible without a crisis? Why do we have to do, why do we have to, why does a crisis have to force us to pray? Why can't we be mature enough to be already praying before the crisis? That's what I'm asking. I'm asking you, let this be a time of development. Let this be a time where you reprioritize your life. Let this be a time where the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart and reprioritize you. Amen. I believe with all my heart that we are getting ready to experience something beyond our imagination. You know, I'm a pastor at heart. I'm a pastor at heart. I, I, I live, breathe, drink it, sleep it, eat it. I just love it. I really do. I mean, I love it so much that if I could do it for nothing, I would just do it for nothing. I mean, I just love it so much. I eat, drink, and sleep it. I love people. I just absolutely, I love Christ Point. This is very hard on me because I I love you and I want to be with you. I, mean, I like, I want, I want to see you. I want to hug you. I want to give you a high five. I want to give you a fist pump. But it also teaches me that this is a great opportunity for me just to reprioritize our church, maybe, you know. Is there things he wants us to change? Is there things he wants to change in my life? I, the Holy Spirit spoke to me years ago and said, I want you to win while you wait. And I'm asking you, let, let's win as we wait. Let's win as we wait. This could be an opportunity for us to win. I love you. I wish I could be with you. I want to hug you. Give me an air high five, an air hug. I want to be with you, but I know that when we get back together, it's going to be an it's it's going to be wonderful. It is going to be wonderful.